Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Hello, hello. I am Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. Hey, everyone. This is Lawrence Henderson again from Boss LLC. I am glad to be back with you this week, Alora. Oh, me too, Lawrence. Always awesome to see you. Okay, so I understand you have some topics for us today. So tell me, tell me what you got. Yeah, so uh, over the last I would say a couple months I've been working with clients, particularly around, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And like anything else, right, whether we're coaching clients or we're trying to work, people work through stuff, um, there always seems to be this negative connotation or this emotion, this anxiety that comes up when having or trying to have a conversation that someone actually believes is important, but all this other other judgment stuff that comes with it, right? And then when you're listening to them, it sounds like they just put themselves in a some sort of thinking trap, right? That thing that says, you're already trying to premeditatedly say out loud, this is actually going to go bad. So I'm going to come with all the crap that I, <laughs> I grew up with for this one conversation about groceries. Uh, um, and it's, I'm buying groceries from a black guy and then all the stuff that's in the world. And I'm like, like, right. So those thinking traps that keep us bound and keep us silent. Um, and I believe, again, we're an emotionally charged political season here in the United States. Um, and I believe a lot of this stuff has been coming up for people. So I was like, man, I believe this might be a thing for, for us to, to bring up today. Um, and then maybe work through some stuff. I don't know. What'd you think, Laura? I think there's a lot that you can unpack there, right? Because I think, you know, the examples that, that you're drawing from are very work-related, but A, your point about politics is completely right. But I also think it's it's a function of, of just like normal interactions, right? You can see this between partners. I actually just had a conversation with my fiance that, that probably kind of touched on some of this, right? Because I think what... I think what has taken me a very long time to understand um, and... I don't always catch it in myself is that I think we get so ego invested in being right that when we decide that XYZ is wrong or our version is better, whatever it is, we then set about doing whatever we need to reinforce the reasons we think that's right. And I think we put so much effort into proving ourselves right or proving the other options wrong or reinforcing all of the justifications that we have for why we think X, Y, and Z makes sense that we actually probably put more effort into that than we would put into going back and asking the question, why do I think that's right? And is it? Does it have to be? What happens if it's not? And I think those are such, and like, you know, to me, this is one of the most useful the most useful things I got for myself personally out of coaching training was, are you questioning your underlying premises, right? Like, are you, 
Are you, or are you just doubling down? I was the master. Let me be clear. I am in no way shirking this. I was the master of doubling down. I would rather eat glass than admit I didn't know or admit that I was wrong. And so to be able to stop and say, huh, you're right. I am assuming that's the right answer. I don't know. Maybe it's really not. Like that's been a massive change in my life in the last couple of years. And I don't know. I don't actually know how I could have made it if I hadn't gone through coaching training. Cause to me, that was like, that was the turning point. Um, and I didn't fully appreciate the extent to which I kept boxing myself in. Right. I kept just doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. And I'm like, no, God damn it. I'm right. And this is right. And this is, these are all the reasons. And, and um, I think, especially when you're in a consulting function, you know, some of the best consultants I've ever worked with have been really good about not letting their ego get involved, right? Clients are going to do what clients are going to do. You can't, you know, you can give them your best advice. You can give me your best recommendation. You can do all the things that, you know, you think make sense, but when it comes down to it, you cannot let yourself get too overly invested in a client action because you have no control there. And there is, in, and I, I know a lot of people, especially in my space on the technology side who, you know, have always had like full-time jobs where they were very invested in the politics and the success of the organization and the team dynamic. And then when they try switching to consulting, they have a really hard time because in some ways the, that consulting function really demands that you keep your ego just a little bit farther out, right? You don't let yourself get just sucked into the drama and the politics and the ego investment. And, and, and one of the best consultants I ever worked with, um, you know, he always used to come back and say, I have no dog in this fight. Like I, I am neutral. I, I am here to raise issues. I'm here to make recommendations, but when it comes down to it, we settle up at the end of every week, one way or another. Yeah. And go a different direction, you do. And to me, that I didn't understand how to do that until I went through coaching training, until yeah. I went through that process of saying, Am I right? And what and, and more importantly, okay, so yes, I think I'm right. I always think I'm right because I'm me and like that's the way my brain works. And I just mm -hmm. assume. I, I, unlike a lot of people, I don't suffer from much in the way of imposter syndrome. So I just assume that I'm right. <laughs> it's kind of obnoxiously hubristic, but I do. Yeah. Like, I don't go back and, and like, I'm, I am not one of those people who hems and haws and like, oh my God, I don't know. Was that the right decision? Mm -hmm. <laughs> screw that. I, I, I got the information. I made the call and moved on and boom, we're done. Like, screw it. I'm like, just pack it up and go. However, that, well, that has advantages and that is great for confidence. It's great for, you know, selling ideas. It's great for getting other people on board. It's not great for asking the question, is this really the right decision? Exactly. And it, and I, I have also, for me personally found that that was also how I was finding myself overly invested and my ego overly invested in being right. And so it was very hard for me to acknowledge that I don't know, maybe I'm not, maybe that's not the right way. Yeah. And not, does that really hurt anything? Mm -hmm. And the thing that was the biggest surprise for me was, cause I, I love to be right. I really do. I enjoy being right in a way that's 
probably not super healthy, mm -hmm. but I've also discovered that if I, especially if I ask the question now being proven wrong, that hurts. And I don't like that, but for me personally, to be the one who steps back and says, Hmm. Okay. Well, I assume this is probably the right way to go. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something or maybe, maybe it's not, you know, actually as logical as I think it is. If I'm the one who does that, it hurts way less when they answer something exactly. else. Yeah. Something else coming in and like smacking me around and be like, hey, you were wrong. Like, ooh, that that sucks. I hate that. And mm -hmm. I am not necessarily going to be graceful in that mm -hmm. moment. But if I can get myself to step back and say, hmm, okay, yes, my gut says go that way. Why? And I answer why. Not always, because I'm pretty intuitive about some of those things. Sometimes it's really hard for me to put like rational reasoning underneath some of that. And I kind of have to, I've had to, again, work through that. But I think the um, more than anything else, it's being able to stop and ask myself, so what happens if I'm wrong? Like, what happens if I'm wrong? Like, is that really the end of the world? Yeah. And I think the biggest surprise for me at the coaching training was, no, not really. If I'm wrong, is I'm just wrong. There's like, there's That's no, it. exactly because struck by lightning for it. Yeah. It's happens that I didn't get this one right. Yeah. And I, and I think you, you hit on a number of things there, particularly around um, that all or nothing mentality, right? And just like, look, I, I'm either 100% right all the time, um, or you're 100% wrong, right? It, it, whichever one comes first, right? <laughs> um, and, and I believe it really puts us in a mindset. And I know for me, one of my biggest ones, um, thinking traps that I fell into was that um, if you, if you only listen to me, like, I, I know what you're going through. Like, just, just listen to me, just listen to me. And so when you talk about getting emotional about somebody not listening to you, um, I can recall early on working with this one client. And to this day, I thank the project manager for giving me, uh, the gift of feedback. But like you just said, it, it, it was very, it, it tasted vile as they were giving it to me because I didn't ask for it. And so they like, they, and they just began to give it. And I was like, my coaching, my coach Lawrence came up like, you're supposed to ask my permission. And I was like, I'm trying to prescribe for them how to give me feedback that they're trying to give me so we can have a relationship. Um, and, but it was the entire time it, she was speaking observations and all these other things and it just tasted just putrid and I was like I am like fuming like after it's over mm -hmm. even though she was right like in that moment like she was 100% right and 100% valid in her having her opinion about what she experienced from me and, and again, I think a lot of times when we go into these thinking traps, it's almost an ice, like a, we're, we're trying to put ourselves in a cocoon of protection of some sort and say, you know what, I'm going to double down. Like you say, you, I'm going to double down where I'm at, right? It's like, I'm all in, even though you played cards enough to know you have a losing hand, but you're not, you know what, I'm going to double down on it and play it anyway. It's me. Like you said, when I was in the army, oh my God to tell me you were smarter than me, more tactically and technically proficient, you were smoking. I was gonna send you off to go get a drug test. 
right? Like that, that's just where my, I was so confident in what I, my ability. And even as a business owner now, and like you said, I rarely question a decision I've made. Um, and I'm, and I'm really good about, Hey, I'll apologize that you took it wrong. I'm not going to apologize for the way I said it. Right. That used to be my thing. Right. Like you said, like you, I'm not in control of your filter. Like that was my thing. And so for me, what I began to do there and I was like, man, am I creating an environment where I'm not being as collaborative and co-creating as I thought I was based on my identification or lack thereof of how I'm feeling when I'm having a community, like I'm communicating with someone and exchanging and you identified something that I, I want people to understand and I want people to take note of. A lot of times when we're communicating with people, we're unconscious to what our body is doing. And when you say my gut, when you say something like, there's a feeling that you have that is almost the, it's the, the ramp up of a behavior at the, at the end. And it's almost like the feeling sensation, then it's the thoughts, then it's the urge, then it's the behavior, right? And, and if we could get, and you said it, like you walked that thing out, it was like, I felt it in my gut. But most of us don't stop there. Like we don't, when we feel it, we don't question it. And what you kept saying is, we have to question the motive and intent of what we're processing, feeling, going through, and then asking ourselves, am I telling myself a true story? And, 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 it, and not so much a true story that it is a factual thing, but am I treating it and giving it, it the right amount of, of emotional effort and equity? Because again, we could be treating some things as God honest, draw the line 100% truth, but no, it was never meant to be a truth. It was just supposed to be an offering opinion, a hypothesis of something. And, but we were holding it as a truth. It's supposed to be a guideline, right? Boom. Well, and I think the other thing that, that I would layer into what you just said, it's also sometimes very context specific. Um, so just as an example, I, so I'm working with a client right now and in my in my very clearly prescribed function within the context of a project, a decision has come up and it's go left, go right. Now, within the context of just this project, the answer is pretty clear, go right. We, we start off going left, we really need to make a pivot and go right. The problem is, as a business owner, as a coach, as somebody who tends to be more strategic, when I look at this organization, I think, wow, I, if I were running things, would want to understand that, yes, within the context of this project, going right makes sense. But in the bigger picture, there's some pretty heavy costs to going that direction. So is your choice, hey, you know what? Suck it up and take and eat your vegetables now and make this short-term, smaller project worse in order to solve a bigger long-term problem. Or do you just say, screw it? The big term problem, the bigger picture is not my problem. I got to focus here and just get done what I am brought, have been brought in to do, in which case I go right. And if later they decide that actually left was better for the overall organization, not my problem. And the stuff like that is super, super difficult to actually understand your biases, right? I have found myself in so many conversations about this recommendation that we're making it's a very complicated, very expensive decision, you know, one direction or another. 
And, and no matter how many times I come back to this, I have to remind myself. And when somebody asks me my opinion or asks me my recommendation, I always have to come back to, it depends on what hat I'm wearing. If my hat is for this project, then this is my decision. If you're asking me what my opinion would be if I was in this hat over here, it would be different. And here is why. But until you start actually recognizing that, you know, none of this stuff is black and white, right? What is right or what the best course of action or the best way to tackle something can completely change depending on your role and the team and your objectives for the project. All these things can completely influence you know, the direction that you need to go. But you can't assume that other people understand the filter you're applying. You have to find, you have to step back enough to recognize that, oh no, I think going left there is wrong because I used to work with that partner once upon a time and they were a total pain in the ass and I don't trust them to do what they need to do in time versus, all right, I get it, but that's perfectly you know, limited to this little piece of the world. There is a much bigger context here that needs to be taken into account. Now, again, it's not always, I'm not always brought in and, and a client doesn't necessarily hire me to look at the bigger picture. In which case, depending on the circumstance, depending on the relationship, depending on any number of other things, I might just keep my opinion to, all right, within the context of this, Yes, I will take a short-term approach and that's that. But you have you have to start teasing out your own context. You have to start teasing out your own biases and and your own, you know, your own reasons and your own lenses because if you don't understand what your lenses are, you can't expect somebody else to understand them. And they will absolutely color your perspective on this and it makes it so much harder to get back to your your original question, which is how do you get out of these like just intellectual ditches where you just you've just driven into a ditch and you are stuck there and you can't get out yeah how do you do that without recognizing how you got yourself there in the first place um i think it goes to to what you said about the identification of the filter you're using in that interplay right of of which hat are you asking me to wear is going to determine how I respond, right? And one thing as a leader, I I fight people and all the time is, is the phrase, it depends. Albeit true, that is not an acceptable response. What you gave is the acceptable response. In which context do you want me to respond to that? Right, and, and the follow on coach question, Right. I want to answer you. I want to give you information that's going to be helpful for you, but I need to know the expectation of my response you're looking for. Right. Are you looking for a decision maker response or are you looking for a team member response? Those are potentially going to be two different things based on the second, third and fourth order effects of that decision and, well, and information. Yeah. And your point, it depends is a clause. It's not the end of the statement. Exactly. Right? Totally fine to say, all right, it depends. If A, yes. If B, then that. But to just say, oh, well, it depends, that's a bullshit cop out. Thank and you. that's not, that is not how you help somebody. I mean, again, whether you're consulting or whether you're coaching, part yeah. of your function in this capacity is to help people come to a resolution and a decision for action. Mm -hmm. Now, 
You don't need to agree with it. It doesn't need to be what you would do in their shoes. Exactly. And it as hell doesn't need to be what you walked into the room thinking was probably going to make the most sense. All of that is about your ego. You got to let go of all that crap because any of that is going to get in the way. But to your point, and I think we see this a lot, especially with in, in a consulting mode, right? Like if you're being brought in as a consultant, because you have deep expertise in a specific set of areas, they absolutely want to hear why you think this or why you think this is something to keep in mind when making a decision. But to just say, well, it depends is a total cop out. And there is almost no phrase. The only phrase I think that pisses me off more is, oh, that's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh you you pricking on emotions now oh my god well and and i think and i think for for so many years there's been a lack of a of accountability and ownership right <clears throat> and as we think about this emotionally charged season of life <clears throat> excuse me that we're in in the u.s is you know there's the extremes right and and i keep telling people we still got to live with each other why, why can't we have a human middle, right? You, you could have your view, but morals, that those aren't political. Ethics aren't political, like, but we've made them. And to me, we need to stop. Morals, ethics, being human to each other, that's not political. To me, that's non-negotiable stuff. And so for people to be in thinking traps around certain things it, it it really just bothers the mess out of me and my wife was reading to me earlier um some <laughs> very prominent um evangelicals um about the making comments about voting the principles of a party to justify where they're going and i was like and somebody's response, another prominent evangelical responds and says, there's no way you're a real Christian. If you, if you say that out loud and you, you've convinced yourself of a warped truth and you're now trying to draw a line so that you know when criticism comes, you're already insulated. Yep. And so you like they just built the, their cocoon around this bias about somebody's party being historically on this line and, and it was like and it, I was like man is that where we're at today but then again the topic of the thinking try of people actually can put themselves in these boxes and be totally I think they can literally lull themselves into a level of explicit unconsciousness <laughs> like like that like i like we're it's, it's conscious like consciousness <laughs> yeah like we're like we're create like they are reinventing like psychology in this season that we're in and is for us as coaches like it's and there's always that question who's a client you won't coach or is there a client that you won't coach yes i've identified several layers of people i will not coach and it's that person that creates this alternative alternative reality to to make okay their choices 
that are destructive and harming to others. And so to me, I believe that's the line as it pertains to thinking traps is the identification of what was once unconscious to you, once made known of the second, third, and fourth order effects, if people are being harmed by your indecision or the decisions that you make as a leader, as a human being, you need to be open to hear and empathetic that, whoa, nobody, if your intent really wasn't to harm, why won't you sit still long enough to listen to how it harmed people? Because again, until we all sit in a place of being courageously incompetent about things to sit in a place to say, I don't know, right? These leaders, everybody trying to get these perfect words, right? You said, hey, I'm either 100% right on this or, or I'm 100% wrong um, in, your, in your capacity to understand what I'm saying. That's completely right, right? And, and, but instead of saying, you know what? I'm gonna be courageously vulnerable and say, I don't know, right? It's the conversation I told you about is like learning about um, gender and identity and, and the, the terms, I didn't know. So what did I do? I went to go get educated by somebody who's from that community. And I had to sit still and shut up. And all my biases came with me. All my religious biases, all my backgrounds, all my other stuff, all my stuff came with me to this conversation. And I put it on display so that they can help me mend the fences and, and, and get and strengthen the kinks in, in my, my armor. Um, and I believe the thinking traps, when people aren't aware of how they're processing, and again, go back to your filter, your ear filter, your eye filter, your sacred cow filter that you're running everything through, kill the cow, grill it. Like just, just grill the sucker. Like let's get rid of them, but put, be, put ourselves in a position to say, you know what, it's story time. I'm gonna tell you yours, you tell me mine, and then we'll find truth together. I love that you said that for a whole bunch of reasons. I think, you know, again, we're back to the fact that this is fundamentally universal. It's not, I mean, we, we can talk within the context of work or, or client work or, you know, um, you know, bosses and being leaders in organizations, but this is true with spouses. It's true with family members. It's true all across the board, right? So I think that when it comes to, when it comes to those mental traps, I think that most of us underestimate how many we have, right? I think most of us, and, and one of the things that, um, and it's funny because it was actually before I started my coaching training, um, another coach who's been a coach for like 20 years um, that, I, that I knew back in Austin, she said that one of the most useful things she ever did for herself, but she since started um, giving it as homework assignments to her clients, was to write down just a list of every role she had ever played in her life, starting with daughter, sister, cousin, just student, you know, whatever, you know, teammate, everything. You just go chronologically, just go through your life. Start from the time you were little all the way down your life and make a list of every role you have ever played. And she was talking about it within a different context, but for me, what's been useful about that exercise is that that has made it so much easier for me to identify 
how am I reacting to something? What is the role that is dominating in this moment? When I catch myself having a knee-jerk reaction to a person or to a set of circumstances or to the news or to whatever else, like which of these roles is the one that has shot to the top of the list and is coming out my mouth? And A, is that really the one I want talking? B, does it serve me? And C, is it, is it being reasonable? Like, is that role something that is actually balanced? Because there's like a queer feminist, like, you know, hysterically like pissed off version of me that isn't necessarily the one I want responding to things, right? On the other hand, there's also this like hyper-rational like business person that frankly is not always, like that sounds more reasonable. And like on paper, I like, I like the idea that that one responds more, but the truth is there are times when, you know, when I'm having an argument with my fiance, the super hyper-rational business person is not the one who is best served to show up, right? And that pisses him off. Like he gets super frustrated when I'm like so rational and he's really emotional, like, oh my God, that actually makes things worse in some ways, right? So like you have, like think the more awareness you can start developing about, hmm, which hat is the one that's like driving the, driving the mouth right now? Like, right, what, what, what hat am I wearing that's causing me to say that? Um, and I think that we, there's so much work about identity and, and like there's some really great stuff that, that there's enormous psychology. And to be fair, that fuels all of our political stuff right now that in a kind of dangerous way. But I think the more we understand about the roles we identify with and the identities that we take on, you know, and say that, oh, hey, great. No, this is, you know, th this is, this is the, the, the woman who's always worked in like, you know, male dominated high-tech environments, who's kind of like, you know, ready to come out swinging at every single possible moment versus, no, this is the daughter who's a total daddy's girl. Like they're, they're completely different archetypes. And while, while I would not ever say that, oh yeah, I'm like, you know, both of those, the truth is in moments I can be either of those and how I respond in a moment to something or someone can trigger something. And if I don't start building my own awareness about, oh no, I just had a total daddy's girl <laughs> Like, you know, so, you know, like, like that's, that's a material data point for me to look at and say, is that the best way for me to respond to that? Like, do I want to show up that way? Um, but I think if you don't start like teasing apart your own the things that your your own inclinations cause you to identify with it gets it's really hard to know that right how do you know for you when you are responding to something as a black man as a man instead of a woman as a straight man as a man who's a preacher's son who was raised in a very religious environment like all of those things layer on in different ways and at different points in time in different circumstances different ones will lead the pack or lead your mouth, which may or may not be what you want. Yeah, I, th I think the most powerful thing um, for me that I pulled out of there into your question, it's always going to the question of how is this serving me? And, and again, not from a selfish perspective, it's a check-in with me. At, am I going to add to this conversation in a positive way. If I'm always believing I'm intending to say something that's going to be impactful, not just inspirational, I have to always start with, 
it, how is what I'm about to say serving me or and serving the person that I'm communicating with or the group or whatever. And I believe when I began to go there, which means the value work had to be present. I had to begin. And like you said, I had to understand where my foundation was as it pertains to what, how am I defining respect? How am I defining integrity? How am I defining service? And, and again, I can be an army, former army officer, my level of service and my definition of service, when I ran people through the filter of soldier me service, nobody was meeting it. Nobody could, unless you had that experience, get this, with me. So the only people that were ever going to be able that would actually make it through my filter were people I served with. Right. And then and once I caught that, right? Like, and then like you said, like the daddy's girl, like even though there are plenty of daddy's girls out there, your relationship with your father is something to totally world's different than an, another young, young lady's experience with their father. And so for me, I had, okay, I need to, I need to, you know, do some tweaking to, to my filters. Um, because again, one, A, and it goes back to some of my wife says, like you friend too hard. And it was like, you, you're, you're ready to take a bullet for people. Not everybody's willing to do that for you. Like that's like, that's your filter. And it's probably not in your best interest to jump straight from, Hey, we just met to, I'm ready to take a bullet for you. That's a, it's a, it's a deep level. Oh of my God. And trust. I was wondering why nobody was texting me back. I, I was that person. I was the intense friend. Or, or the intense associate, right? But then the other part that began to happen is I began to be used because they were like, oh, he's a good resource. And so I'll use him for that. But I was, but I thought they were reaching out authentically like I was, right? And again, using the wrong filter. So I was continuing to use the wrong filter, but then had a buddy of mine, another coach. And that's the one you talked about, the one thing you appreciated from coaching coaching made me begin to identify and really define my filters and how they were serving me or not and the or not part was the part that broke me down and and really when i began to think like really identify some thinking traps that i was actually setting myself up with as it pertains to my mindset and other things and once i truly began to call things out and start from that filter how is this serving me the realization that 80% of the things I was currently doing at the time that I first asked were killing me. Well, and I think, so this is the thing, and, and you know, I, like, you can joke about like AA, you gotta, you know, until you admit you have a problem, you can't solve it. But I have to say, and, and I totally also get, this is not true of everybody, but for me, one of the things about coaching that was great, one of the things, one of the reasons I love assessments, like all of these things, right, is that because for me, the thing that has always been my biggest obstacle um, for making a change has been that that lack of conscious awareness. I I have found myself repeatedly and throughout my life, you know, long before I started work, it was true in school. I found myself in situations where I was fine. I could get by just fine. I didn't I didn't need to work too hard at stuff. Like it, things came easily enough that I didn't really have to like. You know, like I have, I have, I always had shitty study habits because I never had to work so hard at it that I had to get really disciplined because discipline is not really my strong suit, right? So I could just kind of, I could kind of coast. 
And so I think the the flip side of that, and and I, I love that Tammy Duckworth's book, um, uh, Grit, really digs into one of the challenges here, right? Is that in a lot of cases, people who find things to be a little bit too easy, they never have to learn kind of that muscle memory that goes with what happens when, you know, people who are, who, for whom, you know, they're like just naturally physically really strong, or they naturally don't ever have to worry about what they eat because they never put on weight. Like people who fall into that category never have to learn how to eat right or how to work out. Like it's just, it's, it, that's what happens. And so when circumstances change or they get sick or they, you know, get into an accident or, or they just get older and their bodies change or whatever, it suddenly becomes this big, oh shit, I never learned how to do that. And so for me, that one of the challenges that I had early, I think enough in my life is that, you know, in an academic paradigm, things weren't that hard for me. Like they, they were, they were, they were, you know, I could coast by and I didn't really have to do anything. And I could, you know, I could meet everybody's expectations well enough and then eh, whatever. And I was bored. So it didn't, I, I was not motivated. And then it wasn't until I got into startups and I started like doing other stuff where it's like, holy shit, this is like legitimately cool. And, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people who are way smarter than me and who are better at me, better than me at all kinds of things. And like, I suddenly like had to work and I didn't have, I didn't have the skill set for that, right? To this day, like it's hilarious to me because it happens all the time. Clients will ask me, hey, are you taking notes in this meeting? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like as a kid, I never learned how to take notes because I didn't, I just kept shit in my head. Like I never, ever, ever took notes. So like now I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta do that. First of all, my brain actually is not as good as it was when I was younger. So I actually do need to write stuff down, which is a horrible realization as I've moved into middle age. But even beyond that, I just don't have that like discipline to like, oh yeah, I got to jot that down. I got to jot that. Like, it's just not part of my muscle memory. And so one of the things that's been really interesting for me is can you kind of go through this is as I start to identify things that are these disconnects. And as I start putting language around like, oh shit, that's what that was, or oh no, this is what this means, or oh, this is why I never did that. It makes it so much easier for me to stop having an emotional reaction to it, right? For me, this is the difference, a lot of this, and a lot of what we're talking about, this mental traps, it's the difference between that ego attachment to, no, no, I'm fine, I don't need to take notes, why don't you take notes, to, oh yeah, that's right, I didn't really had to do that before, but shit, at 45, man, my memory <laughs> as it used to be actually taking notes would be sort of handy when I'm in like long com complicated technical conversations and hey that would be useful but the thing is, is that into for me what I have found more than anything else is that until I can define it and that role function that kind of that role list that I mentioned helps that understanding your filters list helps until I can define it I can't necessarily get enough distance from it to separate my ego out of it right to be able to say huh that's why I do that. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Now that I know that I can be on the lookout for it more, right? It, it becomes a lot easier to be rational about it. It becomes a lot yeah. easier to detached from it. And as soon as I can sort of separate my emotional like response, all of a sudden it becomes much easier to manage. It becomes much easier to build different habits or mm -hmm. at the very least, do I do this all the time at the very least for me to say at the beginning of the meeting, Hey, you know what? We need to take, Actually, I do this instead. This is why I love Zoom. Uh, you know what? We're just going to record this 
meeting. I'm going to make the recording available because I know for me to take notes is a ridiculous exercise in stupidity and they're going to be crap and they're not going to be useful for anybody. So it, it, it has helped me detach from, oh, shit, I suck at taking notes. This is terrible. Like, it's not a, like, forget it. I, yeah, I suck at taking notes, but I'm not, I don't need to get worked up about that. Yeah. There, are ways, there are ways around it. For and sure. so- so once I could define what those things were, once I could define, hey, you know what, in this situation, I'm looking at it from this from this perspective or this role is what's driving over here, then I can stop, like, then it's like, then I can stop being attached to the fact that, oh, they didn't agree with it. They thought I was wrong. They thought I was stupid. Well, screw that stuff. Screw that. No, no. Hey, here's, here's what we got. If this is my perspective, then this is what I'd say. Given these considerations, this is the direction I'd go here. It's up to you. I don't yeah. have to to it i don't have to get worked up and i don't have to internalize the idea that just because you didn't take my advice means that you think i'm stupid I, I, there's lots of stuff factoring into your decision that has nothing to do with me or anything that i presented you but until i could be clearer about that it was so hard like i would especially consulting like i put so much time and effort into pulling together recommendation and then when they didn't take it oh man that was tough yeah, it, yeah, it makes me makes me uh, think about uh, that that old thing of uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. Eh, we not getting a three, right? And but it's it, but it's that understanding, like man, how many times are we on that wheel of all right, shame on me, here I am again, shame on me. Then at some point, like you got to call yourself out. Be like at at some you you you're you're a can't like we identify a can or a won't in coaching, right? And you need there need to be some awareness created around where you are, right? And if we really are honest with ourselves, how often did we spend time on? I just don't want to, right now. Like things aren't bad enough for for me to want and desire to change, right? If if want to be honest, like things aren't bad enough yet, um, or I'm I'm at the bottom, but I'm not the bottom bottom. Right. And, and, and again, and why do we send ourselves to this catastrophizing before we finally decide that something needs to give? Like, I need to I need to change the filter. And and again, I as a coach, like and I know for you as well, my mission is to help people see, feel um, before they ever hit the total bottom. And so helping talk through these things, again, that's why I love leadership. That's why I love development, uh, because development is a lifelong journey. It is not a destination at all. And so when I when I talk through that process of development as a, as a person, love you, and you've said it probably a hundred times already, is awareness, creating an, a perpetual awareness that grows, right? And again, we, we, we talk about self-actualization, but the transcendence of taking it from thinking about self to who else can I help now because I'm continuing to grow, continuing there continue to be manifestations of understanding that are awareness. Um, and that's the part for me, that's the game changer as, as we think about life and as we think about engaging with each other is, hey, once you become aware of something, to me, I owe, I believe now I owe it to someone else to share. Right? That's why I put myself in the spaces that I put my sp myself in is to continue to share at this level. And some people, when you're not ready, I've heard it described this way. Ah, oh, you're preaching at me. You aren't ready. 
you are ready. If, if that's what you heard when I'm trying to give you like, you see these knots on my head? I'm not, I'm not pontificating about the knots. They hurt. I'm trying to tell you, don't, I don't want you to end up with them. And so I'm not preaching that I'm sharing, I'm giving of information. And so when I think about where we are today, Allura, I'm so, so grateful that we can have the banter, but we also can understand there are levels of progress that we need to achieve. And that only happens when we begin to identify some things, to listen, to go deep, uh, to sign up and choose to go deep um, so that we can end up better on the other side of this thing. So um, hey, it's a good one. Yeah, well, and I think you just nailed it. I think what you said right there is it, right? We have to choose to go deep. And I think when when all else is said and done, either you choose to or you choose not to. And and to your point, you can't make somebody do it. They have to want to do it themselves. And I think the when it comes to that that ego detachment part as a coach, as a leader, as anybody else, you have to be able to look at somebody and say, you know what? They're clearly not ready. I can't take that personally. I cannot, I cannot take it on myself to change them, right? Only a person is the only one who can change themselves and they have to be open to it. And you can, you can stand there and you can look at them and, and it's like watching somebody try to swim, right? And you can think to yourself, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta pull your arm up over. You gotta kick your feet. Like you can stand on the shore looking at someone else doing that, but that doesn't change the fact that they have to do it themselves. And, and either they do it because they're ready to do it or they're not. And you can't let your own version of your own success or failure be attached to what they choose to do. And to me, I think that's one of the hardest things about being a leader. I think it's one of the hardest things about being a coach. I think it's one of the hardest things about being a partner, right? Like it doesn't parent, partner, parent. God, I, like I know so many parents who watch their kids and think, oh my God, I can't believe that's the choice they're making. It's like, well, you know what? I get it. I get that you wish it was different. I get you wish you could influence it. I get... I get that you wish you had that talent or that ability that they have that they're squandering because they don't value it, whatever. I get that. But when it comes down to it, it's still their choice. They make it. And we cannot, I, I would say that for me, you know, we can talk about self-care until we're blue in the face. But for me, one of the most important things about self-care is knowing when to let someone else own their shit and not absorb any kind of hit not take a bullet for it just because it's not what you wanted for them because it doesn't matter how much you love somebody you cannot make choices for them man that's it that sounds like next episode <laughs> it, gave, it probably could because i've been doing a lot with that <laughs> so, all right well then i think we're, we're at a wrap for today sounds as, like a plan thank you lawrence and thank you so much um, so glad and grateful as always for your good topic. Thank you very much. See you all next time. Okay, see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.